Welcome to Infinity War and Beyond, the podcast that we haven't done in a while. Uh, this used to be the podcast where we would watch uh, every MCU film, one Marvel Studio film a week, until we reached the blatant uh, grab for cash that was Avengers Infinity War. But, as you, as any listener of the show would know, you know, we've, we've done Infinity War. So this is what, this is the beyond part. And what we're sort of doing for now anyway is, as these movies come out, me and Billy will get together to review them and talk, well, more talk about them than a review. So this week we are watching Ant-Man and the Wasp. First up, how you going, Billy? I'm good. I was wondering when you were going to introduce me. It's like, I was just is gonna... this the Christoph show now? Yes, I am. I am In this new phase, I am taking over. And I'm, uh, of course, Christoph, the just, grumpier of, of the two hosts. Just usually. try and get rid of me. You wanted to say a swear, didn't you, Billy? Yes, I was about to call you a piece of shit, but I just did now anyway, that's fine. Um, man, so we saw Ant-Man and the Wasp this morning at a special press screening. Yes. Or as I like to call it, a middle-aged, uh, sorry, a mid-30s white guy convention. Yeah, there was a lot of white dudes. A lot of mid-30s we, white well, dudes. Well, admittedly, I added to that number. I am a white dude as well, but yeah, there was, yeah, it was surprising. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was a press preview screening, I'm not sure, but I mean... What's the other thing? Who can make a 9am session? Oh, yeah. It's people who do this professionally or people who can get a day off work. And also, like, right in the middle of the city as well. Yeah. I mean, it was at 9am, which... Like, the cinema wasn't even open when we went in. They sort of had to... Open especially for us. Yeah. Gotta love that. Um, Look, Billy, before we get into into the movie, and I think we need to sort of give people a heads up, this, as with all our discussions of the MCU films, this is going to be riddled with spoilers. Yeah, um, we'll, well, we, we'll talk generally about the film, but then we'll, we'll, there will become a point where we're going to go, yeah, okay, we're, we're into spoilers. But honestly, honestly if you, I would highly recommend, if you haven't seen the film, stop the podcast, go see the film, come back and, and listen, I think you'll get a lot more out of it. And also, we watched this film, well, I mean, you're listening to it now on the release date of Ant-Man and the Wasp, or the release date in Australia, um, we watched this, I guess, your last week, so yeah. we're sort of radioing in from the past right now. That's how all podcasts work, essentially, it's yes. a record of the past, Billy, that is how time works. Yes. Um, look, before we get started, I wanted to spring on you a surprise segment I've come up with. Yes. Where I would, where... I don't know anything about this. Yeah, I deliberately told Billy that I was going to spring something on him. I didn't tell what it, Billy what it was, but uh, as we always are Is on the show... Is it a Yes, very much so. Uh, as we always are on the show, we are we are we are chasing the trends, and the latest trend to blow up Twitter is: Did you hear about Big Dick Energy, Billy? I know all about Big Dick Energy. Well, specifically, like the article that dropped, where it essentially it was talking about comedian Pete Davidson, yes, who is dating Ariana Grande. Yes. Now, many people have pointed out that just physically, Pete Davidson is punching. He is an not a great looking dude. Like he's he's very funny and talented, but just in the looks department. I don't know what he looks like. Well, I, I, I feel like you should look. Google it. Okay, I will. Yeah, I think we continue. I think he he looks like a a weird mix between like a twenty year old man and a fifty year old man. He's like got a very sort of curmudgeonly appearance about him. No, anyway, he's, he's not so bad. Although I don't. But like would you agree that he's punching? He looks very pubescent. Yes, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I don't feel anyone is punching or. Above or below themselves. Okay. Ari- Ariana Grande, I'm sure, love, loves him for certain things. Yes. So she apparently, I believe, over Instagram, mess- like left some comment, basically inferring that he has a 
big old dick. And someone wrote a full article about this idea that men with big dicks have a self-assured... Was not it, all of them. Was it a junkie article? Or, or it a, wasn't junkie. Buzz- it wasn't junkie or BuzzFeed, but in terms of journalistic integrity, it would be around a junkie junkie or pedestrian TV level, I would say. Okay. So we're talking about this idea of big dick energy, which doesn't necessarily coincide with penis size, but seems to be with men. against my friends who work for junkie. <laughs> like, I just felt you needed to throw that in. Um, but it, it's sort of those people who have that sort of self-assured confidence. It often comes with having a big old donger. Um, so like very... So it's an article about John Hamm. <laughs> or John's Hamm, more correctly. Have you seen um, the blog dedicated to him and his... Oh, like the outline dick, of his dick? His big dick energy? I have not. But so now I, you should, you now, now I want to look that up. So at the end it listed a whole bunch of... A whole bunch of are we now rating the Marvel films based on big not, dick Not energy? rating. I thought we would... Now there are a lot of different characters in this. So I've just narrowed it down to the Pym family. And we're going we're gonna to rank Who each one. Who has big dick energy? We're going to... Rank so Billy, you have the option to say that. Okay, they have are we talking big about dick. big dick or is in like just big dick energy swagger of big dick yeah, energy? Yeah, big dick okay, energy because Hope, some of the characters are female. I'm sorry, Hope Van Dyne is highest on the rank. Yeah, I was about to energy. say. I think she definitely has. And now that, that her mother, well, well, anyway, let's we'll discuss that later. Well, I don't feel like saying that Janet. Van, yeah, okay. Janet Van Dyne is on the poster, so the fact that she is in this movie in some capacity, which we won't go into in too much detail here in case for some reason you are listening and are planning to jump off when we dive into spoilers. Yeah. I don't think that is I feel like the ladies of this film are the, are the big dick energy. I would agree. What about... So the one that really perplexed me was... Hank Pym has more big dick energy than Scott Lang. But, okay, so in this yes, article they bring up this idea of, like, small dick energy in terms of men who are always trying to sort of act big and tough and Donald Trump being a key example of someone with small dick energy. And I think, No, no, I don't think that's small dick energy. I think that's micro-penis energy. <laughs> but, because my feeling about Hank Pym, as we saw in the first film, and more so in this film, is that he's a little bit... In, he's kind of, like... Uh, is a little bit insecure about his genius, and it seems like Ooh. a little bit competitive about it. Uh, a Hank, Hank Pym, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. He's very much he's stubborn. Yeah. So I look. I like how they um, sort of expanded on that from the first film in this film. Yes. Yeah, and that definitely plays into the plot quite a bit. But what would you say? I feel like he's a moderate dick energy. Like I feel like he's in the middle of the scale in terms of where his dick energy is. What moderate to? He's a medium rare dick energy. <laughs> I want to know what a well done a dick energy looks like. Um, and finally, yeah, what Scott Lang? What do you think? Where on the and Scott Lang? Yeah, where on the BDE scale uh, does he fit? Uh, I don't think he's small. I think he's just moderate. Yeah, energy. I would agree. Yeah. Thank you for and the, the villains. Well, do we want, do we want to go one, to well, one of the film, one of the villains, Ghost? villains in his film is high dick energy or big dick energy. Okay. The other villains, man. Nah. Um, here's another question I wanted to ask you. This isn't big dick energy related, but it is still dick, dick related, being yeah. uh, being on brand for yeah. me. Uh, what do you think that Marvel will have the bravery to show uh, the outline of Scott Lang's big old dick when he's in giant man form? I hope so. I mean, it is Paul show Rudd. the dick, you coward. It's Paul Rudd, and that's true. I mean, the two D's in his name's <laughs> yeah, double D, um, double dick. I don't know Cause, what that was meant to mean, but that sounded funny in my it, head. Because um, the thing about getting the the thing about getting a boner is that they don't it, always happen when like sometimes they just randomly happen. If you're new to the show, I'm gay and I like Paul Rudd. 
Anyway. Well, who doesn't? I yeah. mean, I identify as straight, and I think Paul Rudd is God's gift to everyone. Yes. Because, um, um, like, my point is that given the amount of time that he's in that suit, and he's sort of giant man for some significant periods of time, surely there's an overlap where he gets, like, an accidental boner. Yeah, true, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's got, like, a... Do you reckon he's got, like, a, like it's very reinforced? Like, Hank Pym's thought of this, and it's built into the suit to keep he's, the dick in check? What, 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 what do cricket people wear? Oh, a cup! Yeah, he's probably wearing a cup. Okay, yeah. Or, much like a drag queen, he tucks it. I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Okay. Race. Sorry. No, no, that was I, the first thing that popped into my head. That's okay. I have some questions about tucking. I'm assuming between the legs. But... Yes, tucking is between the legs. With okay. duct tape. Whoa! Okay, that's, that's that seems like a lot. Yes. Wow. Le- no, duct tape and padding. No, I'm pretty sure it's just padded down there. I mean, why, if, it, okay, if, you were, if you're building a super suit, why wouldn't you have some sort of padding down there? Yeah. No, I, look, I would agree. Because if I was a super villain, the first thing I would do... If I was ever fighting a superhero, was just kick go, him in the yeah, 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 yeah. You, you would go for a dick yeah, punch. I, I fight dirty. A, a dick punch or a dick kick. Yeah. Mm. I don't think it's. No, you know what? It's not dirty. You're just fighting. I, exactly. All right. Look, as much as I could talk about dick, I know, like superhero dick issues all day. Yeah. As has been previously established on any episode of this podcast featuring the Hulk. Um, shall we get into the first segment of our podcast? Yes. Which, of course, is context. What do we do in context, Billy? I've genuinely forgotten. Gen- okay. In most <laughs> cases, because the podcast was focused on um, re-watching the previous films until we got to Infinity War, it was basically context is we don't full out discuss the film. Uh, we pick out points. Oh, sorry. That's... Sorry. <laughs> I didn't, go on, mate. It looks like I'm not the only one who's forgotten. That's okay, so no, context... Okay, sorry. Context is where we discuss, like, where the... Like, the context around when the film was released. Yeah. And currently, it's being released now. Yeah, so, so there's not much context-wise, but we can talk about context as in when the film was set in the MCU yes. universe. Yeah, uh, in the timeline, we'll also talk about how it fits into the MCU's uh, film slate, and we also talk about stuff like uh, the cast, the budget, although we don't have that uh, for this film, and the writers and the creative minds behind it. So the film is... There's a little bit at the beginning which gives you some sort of like a background to the film, mm. and it's um, Hope and... Hope and Hank Pym, and they are discussing trying to find um, Hope's mother, Janet Van Dyne. Yeah, and as it, and it's set like right at the end of Captain America: Civil War. Yes, uh, and it, and I would say, and that sort of opening sequence, it even recaps a lot of the stuff from from the first from, from the, the first, first film. film. Uh, he talks about um, losing Janet Van Dyne. And how he realizes, um, given that Scott went to the quantum realm in the first film, there might be a way, and he survived. There might be a way that Janet survived when now this, she went to the quantum. This realm. poses a question that I'd like to ask you, Billy. Do you think you could see this movie without having seen the first Ant Man, and for the most part, understand yeah, and enjoy it? Yeah, I could. I tend to think the same. Um, and in terms of context, given that this in the timeline, and we'll talk about this a bit later. Uh, it's a credit to the writing if you do that. That's like with most... That's like with a lot of comics. If... Or, if the, you know what? It's, a, it's good with a lot of films. You've got to make it so that... Yes, it's a sequel, but make it enjoyable enough so that it can be watched without the first one. Yes. Like, I mean... I mean, take, for example, Star Wars. 
I mean, some people have seen Empire Strikes Back without having seen A New Hope, which is stupid, but anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> You're idiots, but, but also, okay. But, like, you could easily watch Empire Strikes Back without having watched the previous films. Like, if you do a good enough setup, which explains the premise, which they did in this, and it's very oh. quick. It's not like 20 minutes or something. It's more than like five minutes. And in terms of, in, uh, I was going to say, in terms of Infinity War, chron- chronologically, this is set before Infinity War. Yeah, and, and you don't need to see Infinity War to understand this film at all. Like, it's not linked. I would say well, uh, yeah. that it's so not linked this, to Infinity War at all, which, to be honest, first, is refreshing. Yeah, so this first five minutes, which is like previously on Ant-Man. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pure setup, right? Yeah, it's set like right at the end of, I guess, Captain America Civil War. Mm. And um, then it goes to present day, which is two years later. And that two years later, like the present day, is almost like maybe... Maybe a month or a couple of weeks before Infinity War. Yeah, so this sort of... Yeah, in terms of the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe timeline. Yeah, it happens just before Infinity War. Something I'd like to talk to you about, because when... One second also. Yeah. Um, with the Ant-Man universe, it's not set in New York. It's set in San Francisco. Yeah, it's on the West Coast, which yeah. I think is a good way of keeping it sort of feeling like in its, its own little world. Yeah. Now... When we talk about these Marvel films, we're always dealing with two timelines. We're dealing with, obviously, the uh, in-universe timeline. And mm-hmm. we're dealing with the real-world timeline. You know, about when these movies come out, both in terms of the year they come out, and also it, the movies that come before and after them. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting that this is... Yes, it in the world it happens before Infinity War, but in terms of, in our time, you know, everyone's seen... Well, who's going to see Infinity War, seen Infinity War, and the next Marvel follows it up with Ant-Man and Wasp. Do you think it's a good... good that was a good decision? How do you feel yeah, no, I think it does. about that? I think it's a good film. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, you need, you, need, you need a way to grieve, and this is a funny film to help you grieve yes. easier. Yes. Post Infinity War. What was interesting to me about this film is it felt like a palate cleanser because it's the antithesis of Infinity War in every way. Yes. Infinity War, you needed to have seen 18 films or whatever for it to make sense. In this film, you need to see none. You can come straight in blind and it does a great job of, as we mentioned before, sort of catching you up mm. and make, without it feeling too tedious and making you feel like you understand what's going on. And this, And whereas Infinity War felt like Every scene, you know, needed to cover a couple of story beats and keep moving forward. This movie wasn't afraid to take its time and yeah. to sort of have some really nice character moments. Oh, and sorry, then I'll let you speak, Billy. The last thing is that this, whereas Infinity War, the stakes felt so high and serious, the stakes in this film were deliberately quite small in scope, yeah. which was, again, in comparison to Infinity War, felt really I mean, the largest scope in this film was saving Janet Van Dyne. But you don't find that out until near the end of the film that they have a limited opening window to save her. Yeah. Whereas the the most of the threat of this film is sort of Scott helping them, helping um, Hank and Hope while not trying to get caught by the cops because he's on his like last few days of two year house arrest. Yes. Yeah. And again, uh, I won't go into it too much now because that's more for pickups. Yeah. But yeah, the stakes in this are all really personal, which I think is a very, Cyber. very good choice. How many times did you watch Infinity War? I only watched it once because it was too brutal. I yeah. wanted to go see more, but it was like, I don't know, it was at a period where I'm like, I need something uplifting. I can't watch. I love it. <laughs> can't watch like, Spider Man cry as he disintegrates into a thousand pieces. Save me, Tony. Save me, Mr. Stark. You know. 
Yeah, I can't watch Infinity War again because that movie was pure story. It was about getting to a... It wasn't about the journey. It was getting to... It was getting to a point. Okay. As we talked about last... On the Infinity War episode, for me, the closest reference point to that film wasn't any other film but a comic book event. Um, And a lot of those comic book events are vehicles that sort of take the universe from one point to another. And for that reason, I just don't... I don't think I'd get much joy in rewatching Infinity War. Okay. Um, well, you know what? Let's, let's given, talk about given, this film a little bit, Sean. Well, yeah, but before we do that, given the context, I wouldn't mind since we when we um, when we discussed Infinity War, yeah, um, and watched it. Oh, do we want to sort of give an update on where the numbers are up for that film? Yeah, why not? Um, given that we when we did the podcast, it was literally out then and there. Yeah, so we couldn't sort of give an accurate box office. Okay, so the budget is between three hundred and sixteen to four hundred million. Okay, and the box wow. Of, yeah, the box office at the moment is $2.032 billion. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know for sure if that means it's beaten the others. Um, yeah. But I assume it would have been the most expensive Marvel movie ever made. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm well, going to use that as a pivot point. Yes. Uh, so, unfortunately, we don't... We've done some research and we couldn't find the budget for this Ant-Man film. Yes. But if we look at the budget for the first Ant-Man film, it was 130 million, which is the smallest uh, yeah, MCU budget and, today. Yeah. So it was the smallest, one of the smallest budgets for the Marvel universe. Well, I don't and think. I think it was the smallest. I'm not aware of. I mean, like, keep in mind that the Iron Man's are about 150, and I think there might have been one or two other films that were that were 140. Okay, and the box office for it was, I think, about five twenty million. Okay, so not bad box office wise. Um, in a twist of irony, a wasp has actually just flown into Billy. The recording studio. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The record. I didn't realize that we were. And it is trying to get out. Do you want to play some dramatic music while I try to get it out? Is it a bee? No, it's a wasp. It is a wasp. Okay. Um, let me try and get it out. You can hear it buzzing. Do you want to interview it, Scott? You know what? Why don't we, at this point, cut to the trailer? No, no, no. And then the audience can pretend that they're listening to the trailer as we Oh, God, it's coming closer! It's coming closer! So, how long have you been Ant-Man again? Not long. It just sort of happened. I wish I could fight bad guys like you. I seem to mess it up almost every time. Maybe you just need someone watching your back. Hi. Like a partner. Dr. Pin, I actually heard what happened to you. You opened up the quantum realm. That's when this crazy creepy ghost who like walks through walls and stuff. Stole your tech. And now she wants to take over the world or whatever. Who would have believed that in your hour of need, you would turn to us? Not me. Because I mean, we robbed you. Do you remember? That's us. The only chance we've got is both of you. Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up. Follow my lead. She seems more intense. No, no. 
You go low, I'll go high. I have wings. Why would I go low? What I miss? We were just tiny. I was partners with Hank on a project called Goliath. How big did you get? My record: twenty-one feet. You? Sixty-five feet. Sixty-five. If you two are finished comparing sizes, sixty-five. So we are back. The wasp. We can confirm the wasp is out of the room and no one got We stung. didn't. Yeah, we didn't kill it. I don't care what anyone says. We did not kill it. I opened the window and made sure it got out. Um. All right. Well, let's. Yeah. Talk a little um, bit about the creative talent behind this film, Billy. Yes. Because um, we're still in context. We don't normally usually go for a break during context. But usually we don't have a wasp playing as well. That's sort of a, a, a special did, thing just for this episode. A wasp that Christoph did not want to interview. So you know he's. I don't know, what's what the, what anti are what, you are you wasp? outing me as anti wasp? Yes. What a controversial stance. As opposed to living in a wasp like community. <laughs> um, um, all right. So, so the film was directed by Peyton Reed, who directed uh, the previous film. Yes. Um, and he has also directed Down with Love, The Breakup, Yes Man, and one of my favorite films of all time, Bring It On. That's right. I think in the Amen episode we sort of talked about that he's got a lot of comedy chops rather than action chops yes um so this film was written by chris mckenna um who has contributed to previous marvel films mm-hmm. um whereas writing some of the humor for them so he wrote some jokes for uh captain America: civil war i believe and um spider-man homecoming um there was also eric summers um andrew barra gabriel gabriel ferrari and paul rudd who also wrote some of the stuff for the previous for the Ant-Man film. Okay. But see, I wonder, with that sort of writing credit, given that Rudd's such a name, I wonder, did he actually, like, sit down and involved no. in the writing process? Or did he just sort of ad-lib, you know, did he come in and they sort of got him to riff on stuff and then... I think put he it wrote some film. jokes, because he wrote some jokes for the first film okay. as well. And apparently he came very late in the writing process of the previous film, because he was, it was almost like he was hired, and then almost, like... A month, maybe a month, it might have been shorter than that, um, Edgar Wright was let go in regards uh. to it. Um, from what I read, Peyton Reed had a sort of soft, I guess you could call it, soft spine for Ant-Man and the Wasp, mm. but what he beats he wanted to, to hit. hit. And I think it was more building on various things with the first film, which is pretty cool, um, given that it, the director from the first films come back and say, hey, I want to expand on this mm. um well you think i'm pretty sure like the writing team was like all right cool let's explore that more and write jokes using black panther as a reference point i know ryan coogler uh in an interview sort of said that when he was asked to direct that movie he came to marvel with ideas about what he wanted to do and marvel gave him ideas of what they wanted to see in the character yeah so i wonder if it's sort of the same a similar thing in this case where it's like all right this is what you know marvel comes and says this is what we think worked in the first film and Peyton says these are the sort of things I want to bring. Yeah, and I mean, look, and we've discussed this in the past with the podcast, whereas like post uh, Marvel um, It's the post-Ike Yeah, post-Ike Perimeter um, Marvel are very like 
they're happy to try new things. Well, especially now they've had sort of... I think Black Panther in many ways was sort of the key hit that's now made them be like, oh, we can actually have people who aren't white dudes yeah, in and lead also, roles in these movies. Yeah, and they're also very much look, we're happy for directors to come in and experiment and try new things and everything. Well, and again, I think Thor Ragnarok was a great example of someone being given a leash. Yes. And when I know when Taika Waititi talks about that film, he makes it sort of very clear that he came in intending to destroy what came before, and they were okay with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, look, I mean, in this film we finally... Wait, is it our first female villain? Oh, that's a really great question. Because we've in the um, Iron Man three episode, we talked about how it was meant to be. You know, wasn't it in the original script or the original pitch? It was a female villain, but then yes. it was turned to a male villain. Yeah, um, I can't remember. No, Hella, uh, Hella, and I'm sure there's others as well. But Hella's the main one that, that jumps into my mind. Okay, uh, but I think this this villain in this film was a very good villain and would, in my mind, be one of the better Marvel villains. Yeah, right up, right up there with um, with uh, Killmonger from Black Panther. It's all, and it's almost like what we discussed, like, post-Ike Perimeter, the villains have gotten better. Yeah, I think they're slowly... Because Kevin Feige has said in interviews directly that the villains in a lot of their films are there to serve the journey of the hero and it feels like they're finally because these heroes are getting more established and the universe is getting bigger they're able to shed a lot of that stuff yeah um, but we'll discuss the villain yeah I was going to say we'll... um, pick ups um, but yeah so did you want to dis- so okay, do we want to talk about the cast briefly because what, yeah, sure. what a killer cast yes. especially when you look at the first film where you sort of the only real big names were um Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. In this film, we have a much, a lot more star power, including uh, Lawrence Fishburne uh, and Michelle Pfeiffer as sort of the main two contrib- big star power contributions that come to mind. Yeah, so apparently, um, in regards to Michelle Pfeiffer... Um, Was she so attached to this film for a while? Because I'm sure I heard her name in regards to these From what I can tell, Michael before. Douglas... Uh, wanted his wife, Catherine Zeta-Jones, to play the part of the Wasp. Really? But I don't think she would have been the right No, fit. but Evangeline Lilly actually said, hey, let's get Michelle Pfeiffer to do it. And I think Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne is probably one of the most on-point casts yeah. for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Up there with like Chris Evans' cap in terms of it just feels so natural and perfect. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas have done a film together before. Really? Yeah, as like a couple, so it'd be and so like I could. Well, that's the thing. I could see them as a couple, like as in like a, a husband and wife type. Well, thing. they're both beautiful older white people. As as like a like uh, I don't know. If actors wise, I could see them playing the role of like a couple type thing. I, well, I think Michelle Pfeiffer in particular has a lot of warmth yeah. that she that she sort of brings. And that was definitely evident in this film. She's a really good actress. Yeah, she's a... Uh, no, she is... She's one of the strongest parts of this film, I, it's, I She's also one of those actresses that... Or actors that... Doesn't do, like, 20 films a year. They pick and choose what they want to yeah. do. Yeah. Oh, so the, uh, just another actor I wanted to bring up who was in this film. Who's... A, uh, like, not a, certainly not as big as um, Fishburne or Michelle Pfeiffer, but Walton Goggins... Who's yes. been in some HBO stuff? And oh is, my uh, god, no, Walter Goggins. He does. He's like the new person who loved trying to figure out which actor it is. But like, he loves to play dickheads or villains. Yeah, he's he's. 
He's kind of good at like the goofy dickhead. Yeah. Like you want to hate him, but he's also like got sort of a lovable goofiness to him. I'm pretty sure he was in. Yeah, he was in Hateful Eight. Was he in Hateful Eight? Yeah, he was in Hateful Eight. I know he was in um Step Vice Principals with um. I'm pretty sure he was in on HBO Django and Chain as well. Okay. He was in. Yeah, no, no, he was in Cowboys and Aliens as well. Oh, was, that yeah. being that. See, I got him confused for That's someone else. I thought he was in um, the t- latest Tomb Raider. Yeah, he is. He's actually in the Tomb Raider film. He's okay. one. Of, he's the main villain in the Tomb Raider film. It, wow. Okay, so he's really having a um, having yeah. his moment. Yeah, he's been in a few films. Um, he so was in Predators as well. Really, the Predators. Oh, film. that sort of short-lived attempt to reboot that sort of. Yeah, it was like a weird sort of reboot, but not not like soft reboot. Yeah. Didn't really work. Um, so Lawrence Fishburne plays Bill Foster. Uh, now, was Bill Foster... Bill Foster is actually in the comics. Yes, because um, I know in the Marvel Universe there's a character called Goliath. Yes. And um, but yeah, no, Bill Foster is part of... Uh, he's worked previously with Hank Pym. Okay, yes, yeah. in this film. And something that the Marvel Cinematic Universe does a lot is they sort of retool superhero I- ideas. So mm. a great example of this... Um, well, is in it this a... ghost in this film is uh, female, whereas in oh. the comics it's male. I was thinking more in terms of like instead of Nova, <clears throat> we've got the Nova Corpse. Oh, okay. And yeah, so yeah. in here, instead of Goliath, it's Project Goliath, Goliath that he yeah. was on. Um, but on that front, of course, we have Ghost, who is played by um, uh, Ghost uh, is played sorry, by Hannah Hannah John Carmen. Carmen or Carmen? I'm not sure. She's in Ready Player One, which I still have not seen. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't seen it either, but I'm just going to go ahead and say I don't think it's worth your time. Yeah, she is in Tomb Raider a little bit. Um, apparently she was in Star Wars Force Awakens, but she's done mostly TV. Um, okay. She's been in Killjoys, I know that. Oh, okay, yeah. that's, I think that's where I recognised it from. Yeah, so she's been in Killjoys. From that half an episode of Killjoys have, I once watched. I haven't seen all of... Um, Killjoys. It's been a series that I've been meaning to get I watched, back on. I think I've watched about 20 minutes worth. So it's you're doing better than be, me. Well, yeah, it's meant to be a really good TV series. Um, but yeah, so she was, yeah, as a ghost who is a, the villain in this film. We'll talk a little bit more about that later down the track. But she was particularly, like, good good performance. Yeah. Um, one, one character in this film I kind of wish wasn't... I mean, we'll go into context a bit, but um, there's Randall Park who's playing the role of Jimmy Woo. I kind of wish he wasn't sort of the bumbling FBI agent, but it is kind of cool a bit. Because in the comics, he's... Is Jimmy Woo someone else? No, no, Jimmy Woo is like sort of FBI, but he's also like secret agent type. He's almost like James Bondish. Okay, see, I didn't realise that Jimmy Woo was a character from the comics, whereas I just thought Randall Park was great. Yeah, no, he's in this... He's he's in a... um, Yeah, he's... He was in this Agents of Atlas. Okay. Uh, which is a good comic. It's like taking all those stupid, really shitty tropes that we've talked about. Like sort of like when a when a um, Chinese or uh, person is called like the villain is oh. called like Yellow Claw, which is so Oh yeah. So really like Oh, so like that weird sixties racist comic shit. Yeah. Yeah. They've taken it's like um so Agents of Atlas is taken all those tropey shitty villains and made them better like flesh them out yeah like as agents of atlas had like jimmy woo um it had like one of namor's like 
cousins in it as well, name on the Submariner. Okay. Yeah. Well, but, look, I I think Randall Park is a, like a very funny comedic actor. Yeah. He pops. He's popped up in all sorts of things. Yeah. No, I liked. Um, and, yeah, I liked him as it, but it was like. Did you just? Is it more that you just wish it, he was either like an unnamed character? Or I don't know, maybe like no, 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 like no, just no, like or maybe not even an unnamed like, character, but not a comic, not a specific comic book character, just like an FBI agent. No, it would have been cool of him to be like an agent, but also maybe sort of like helping. Oh, okay. Whereas here is yeah, he's like he's not a dick, but he's a little bit of he's an, a bit of an obstacle. Yes. Um, like playing almost the part that, um. I don't remember um, oh as, Bobby Cannavale yeah as Paxton did yeah. in the first film who yeah. on the, is a, returns in this film but is very much on team team Scott Lang yes which is very sweet can I just say yeah Bobby Cannavale hugging Paul Rudd oh oh oof oof that's yeah a lot of I'm a lot of a lot of uh, hunky dads in this film. Oh man, man! And we see a lot of Papa Rudd. I would have loved Paul Rudd to. Oh, sorry, Scott Lang to just have hooked up with Paxton instead. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Um, <laughs> All right. Yes. Well, shall we? Shall we jump into pickups, my friend? Because yes. there's so much to talk about in this film. So pickups is when we sort of uh, cherry pick pieces of the film that we want to talk about. Um, this is obviously. I mean, we've already given some mild spoilers, but this is going to be blatant spoilers. So yes. if you have been hanging on and sort of wanted to jump out when we go into deep spoiler territory because you haven't seen the film yet, this is your jumping off point. For everyone else, uh, buckle up. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to dive into dive in and bring up some bits of the film that we think are worth talking about. Billy, do you have something you would like, a pickup you would like to go with first? Um, yes. Look, um, so do we want to talk about Ghost? Let's start off with Ghost. Yeah, let's start off with Ghost. Look, so... I I really like the character of Ghost. Um, Who is... You know, a villain is kind of the villain in this film. Yeah, kind of the villain in this film. Ava, Ava, they don't say her last name, but I assume it's Star. I think it's the same... Yeah, yeah, Ava Star. Like, so, her setup... Okay, so in the comics, Ghost is this sort of tech villain. Um, It started in the 80s in Iron Man. And And it's someone who has, like, a tech suit who can make him intangible and he's a male if that's correct yeah like scrawn it's that typical like sort of like scrawny hacker type who now has these amazing powers from like a piece of technology turns into a villain um that wants to steal tech secrets so in this film what it is is that um ava ghost's dad used to work for hank pym and that um he left the experiment that delved into the quantum realm and started doing it on his own the experiment stuffed up and Ava was caught in the blast and is now literally intangible and her her suit is the thing that sort of keeps her yeah, tangible keeps her and I think immediately that is what I set her apart from a lot of the other villains in the Marvel Universe she's not greedy or flawed she's she, got a genuine affliction she's yeah, facing she has it a out purpose in, yeah. she's trying to save herself Yes, uh, and it's very, you know, it's very relatable. She's in a lot of pain, and she's consistently phasing in and out. What's the, what's the, um, is it a MacGuffin when it's a, a Like an, an item, every, yes, yeah. That's an item everyone's going, sort of chasing, usually, that everyone wants. It's almost like, I mean, the, in this film, the... Are you saying Hank the lab? Pins, Hank Pym's lab, and also Janet Van Dyne is the MacGuffin of this film. Well... I could be wrong, but I always sort of 
I felt that... Uh, but, but it's not in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. I always felt that the term MacGuffin is usually when something is sort of wanted by everyone, but it doesn't necessarily feel earned, whereas I felt like it would make sense why everyone wanted the ladder. Yeah. It was a little well, bit yeah well, but... yeah, well, in this one, Ava slash Ghost wants the lad so as to, I guess, siphon off the energy from the quantum well, realm to heal herself. I think specifically she wants to she wants to get uh, Janet Van Dyne back and and then take the quantum energy out of her. Yeah, and save herself. Yeah, but... So, I think what's interesting about Ghost in this film is that, you know, they've... I think they blatantly said that because the ghost from the comic book is such a blank slate character, mm. they've sort of created their own version of Ghost. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, and I think these movies are at their best when they simplify or ex- simplify or change ideas from the comics. I think this is a great idea of them taking something from the comic, taking it a different, and I would say better direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I also liked is that Ghost is a villain in the loosest sense of the form. I mean, yeah, she's, rede- she's she doesn't do anything that's irredeemable. And by the end of the film, she's on Team Pym. You know, yeah, she's I mean, part of the Ant You family. don't actually... Yeah, it's, and it's... I guess you might say this is your hated thing, which is the whole killing off-camera type thing. But the oh, when, only, it, the when only, a character dies off-camera. Yeah, camera. but the only deaths we, we know about that she contributed to is when she was, like, secret agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, which is, like... I mean, Captain America's killed plenty of people in this universe yeah. as well. Like, yeah, they don't make a big deal of it, so it doesn't become a big deal to something, the viewer. So, not to throw shade at Marvel or anything, mm. but I saw someone tweet something to the effect of how there is blatant destruction in the DC universe, and there's blatant destruction in the Marvel universe, and like, that's one of the things that's like hated upon in the DC Universe movies. Yeah, but there's a difference, I think, and the difference is, to me, the DC films really focus on yeah. that. The Marvel films brush it off because they don't want you to be paying attention to that. That's mm. not where the focus should be. Um, also, Marvel address it in Captain America Civil War. Yeah. To an extent. Yeah. With this film, like, it's made out that S.H.I.E.L.D. found her yes. and tried to... Or sort of said they were going to help her, but ended up turning her into a secret agent. Which is, I wonder if that's inter- the whole Hydra part of Shield that did well, that. That wasn't discussed as such. But remember, because I can't see Nick Fury being the type to take advantage well, of her. But remember that uh, something that's really that I really like about the Ant Man universe is they're sort of Pym and his associates. Uh, the, because... Yes, and they're the underdogs, yeah. sort of, and the outcasts of the of this world. So, in the lens of these films, it, like Shield is untrustworthy, and the idea of Shield doing something shady, and not just Hydra Shield, but normal Shield doing it, is not particularly surprising. Yeah. So, I think in this corner of the Marvel universe, it doesn't matter which part of Shield. Yeah, I know. I just feel like myself personally. Oh, I, just for I your mean, own sort of um, no, I, I spiritual hell. No, no, I don't know. I mean, like, I just couldn't see. I couldn't see, like, Nick Fury being the type to take advantage. Oh, I think he definitely is. No, I mean, help her, but not, like, the way she made it. Oh, was I that, think... like, they didn't really help her, they just gave her the suit and that's it. They didn't even investigate ways to prolong her life. I, yeah, but I don't I don't think that's out of character for normal Are we having a moral shield. debate right now about, about, about fictional super people? But, um, um, but, yeah, I think it plays into... I think the character of Ghost plays into two aspects mm. that I that sort of to me separate the Ant-Man corner of the universe from the other films in a good way which is number one yeah that S.H.I.E.L.D. is that S.H.I.E.L.D. and sort of the powers that be can't be trusted yeah uh, and number two is that Hank Pym is an, is essentially and he's a 
good person, but mm. he is not a nice person and he is an asshole. Mm. And he has fucked over, you know, fucked over and rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Because yeah. Ghost is sort of, they leave it deliberately ambiguous as to whether her dad was stealing S.H.I.E.L.D. secrets or whether Hank, you know, Pim fucked the dad, her dad over. And my guess is that the truth is so, will in be between. somewhere in between. But they don't sort of give us it's, closure it's on It's almost like uh, Whiplash's dad from Iron Man. Oh yes, where they they don't. Well, yeah, he made did he out. did he invent it or did he steal it? You don't know. Yeah, and then like Tony Stark's Howard Stark made it out that or said that he was stealing st- stuff for the yes. Russians. We don't yeah. know for sure. Yeah, so I like that. So I think we meet. Uh, yeah, in Agent Carter, we meet with Blush's dad as a young person. He doesn't seem the type to like steal shit. Mind you, I mean Agent Carter isn't necessarily connected to the rest of the. Yeah, it is. The f- is it? Yeah. It's got Agent, it's Agent Carter, but I mean, yeah, like in that in that series, it's made out that maybe he was framed. Yeah, a little bit. Because, well, no, he was sort of helping Agent Carter a bit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I to bring it back to Ghost, I think it's cool. Yeah, how Ghost is both a product of a Shield being shitty and a product of Hank Pym being shitty. Yes. Um. All right. Um. What's your pickup? All right. Well, I oh so much that I want to. I want to pick a part. All right. All right, let me think. All right, let's talk about the humour. I really like talking about the humour in these films because it can be pretty hit and miss. Yeah. No, but this one didn't seem very hit and miss. It It was consistent hit. Yeah, it felt like one of the funniest films in the Marvel Universe. Well, in the previous episode, in the Ant-Man episode, I think I brought up that, like, I think Ant-Man is the funniest one of... No, like, I think the first Ant-Man is the funniest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Billy's computer just charming in there. Um... You know, and because the humor... The computer agrees. Uh, because the humor feels really natural. And it, and in some of the other Marvel films, either the humor does not hold up. A great example of this is Thor 1. Mm-hmm. Um, or it feels like they've written the script and then they've brought in people to punch it up. Yeah. Now, I, that, that certainly... This doesn't happen. feel like a one that was yeah. brought in to punch up. Yeah, like it certainly could have happened. I don't know. But my point is it doesn't feel like that. No. And I, again, I think it's because a lot of the actors in, these, in this film have comedy chops and they know how to sell comedy. Mm. I mean, Randall Park has done all, you know, has been in all sorts of like TV comedy What's series. What's the series where he's in where it's... Oh. Is it Fresh Off the Boat? I believe it's Fresh Off the Boat. Yeah. He, he I did, need to watch He was in a really funny, funny like opening thing for The Office. Yeah. Where uh, Jim convinces Dwight that he's Asian mm-hmm. and Randall Park plays like Asian Jim. Yeah. And it's very funny. I remember that actually. And he's in, uh, he makes like a brief appearances in like a uh, bajillion dollar properties and there's uh, and, um, another CISO show called, oh, what's it called? Can't wait till the I rest of The Office is a part of the, the, the American Marvel Office. Is part, part of, of the MCU. <laughs> um, but it, anyway, like Paul Rudd also has, has chops, uh, my, I believe it's Michael Penner who plays Lewis. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't I don't know... I actually am not familiar with any of his work before this film, but my, he comes across as a comedy guy. Which one? Uh, the guy who plays Lewis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's been in a lot of comedic films. I think he was in... God, I think it was Chips? The, yes, that's the right. That, not that that was a good Dax, film. The, the Dax Shepard. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember what, um, what other films he's been in. But the way he sells lines and, like, you know, really sort of figures out how to make, how to sell these lines and make them funny is just great. Yeah, I think he was in, like, 
It was in SWAT. Pretty sure. Okay. Because I know I'd seen him around before, I just couldn't place him. Yeah, he's done a lot of serious roles as well. Um, the other two characters in in the film, um, I'm trying to think of it. The, um, they play the the other offsiders. Yes, uh, Ti. Yeah. Who isn't Ti a rapper? Yeah, they, he plays Dave as part of Lang's crew, and also David Dash Malashian, who plays um, Kurt. The Russian guy. Yes, the sort of the weird European dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's not explicitly said if he's Russian or anything. No, just, it's, it's, it's like, European. He's just like generic Eastern European. Yeah. And it's very... Yeah, um, I think for me one of the highlights... They had lesser role compared to the first film. They did, but... I mean, that's because the story shifted a bit. But I like that their involvement didn't feel tacked on. No. Um, and there was a particular scene that they're in where uh, Michael Penner's character gets... Hit with gets injected with truth serum and he gets into his story mode thing, which is hilarious. Yeah, which is a great callback to that joke from the from the first film and where Clay. he's where he's recounting a story and you see a flashback, but everyone is voiced by him. And they literally say, "Yeah, he's not going to stop now. He's like a jukebox." Yes, <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, even before then, they have the little argument about what the what the serum should be called. <laughs> like, so I was saying to you and me were talking about up. Uh, yeah, it's like it's. It's la- it, I would say it's, it's like hum- laugh out loud funny stuff. Yeah, it's and really it's good. humor that it's not the humor that's going to be dated. Like not at all. Be, like as in political references that are going to be dated type or thing. Or even... It's humor that will stand the test of time. And I would say it's even humor that is not super reliant on character. They're just no. good... They're just like good jokes yeah. sold well. It's almost like those skits on TV shows like SNL that you will see... You will rewatch they'll, years they'll, later. They'll do the rounds, yeah. yeah and just laugh again yeah, no, okay. it's... And something I said, uh, we talked about straight after the film was, uh, you know, if we look at Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and the first Ant-Man, both of them were sort of the funny... Out of, yeah, yeah was out the, the funnier films. Funny. But Gu- Guardians of the Galaxy 2, the, I like rewatching that, a lot of the humour didn't work and felt cheap. It's almost like, like the Mary- did you like this? Yeah. Well, here's this out to 11. Like, that Guardians Mary Poppins joke to me felt like such low-hanging fruit, and the giant... Like, every sort of... Every joke in that was oh, a little bit too much and over yeah. the top. Whereas whereas with this, it's almost like, you like this joke, but we've got similar to that, but it didn't feel forced. Yes. Well, I think in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you felt like entire scenes were sort of uh, derailed in pursuit of a joke. Here they sort of meander off, and then but they always come back to the plot point. Mm-hmm. You know, and a great example of this, uh, of of that is like when Paul Rudd's character will say something that is a joke, and then another character will won't will sort of almost ignore the joke and say something else that moves the plot forward. So yeah. we get the joke, but no, but the whole scene isn't derailed. Whereas Guardians of the Galaxy, someone says like a joke, someone else adds to it, someone else adds to it, and before you know it the whole scene is sort of in pursuit of this ridiculous joke that goes too long. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so humor in uh, The Too Long Didn't Read of It Always, the humor's real good. And okay. I think, it'll like the first Ant-Man, it's going to stand the test of time. Excellent. Um, I want to talk about Hope Van Dyne. Yes, let's do it. Okay, so I feel like... I mean, the, the previous film ended. I mean, its post-credit was It's About Time. Yes. Yeah. When she gets shown her wasp suit. I felt like we get, in this film, a fully-fledged hero. Yeah, there's no sort of training montage. You know her getting used to it. In fact, we see her in action before we see Ant-Man in action in this film. Yeah, and I feel like 
I mean, look, I'm glad she's got the longer hair in this film. I felt like, I don't know, the the bob in the first film was out of place a bit. I felt, do you think that was a... I think that was her trying to look like... The mum, right? Yeah, the... Like the comics. Yeah. uh, Um, Not that it matters. Not at all. But, I don't know, in this I felt like she was just, yeah, fully fledged. And I feel like that might have been one of the... uh, One of the things that Peyton Reed wanted, like... Uh, definitely be in this film. It's like, I want hope. It's almost like she was... There was more action scenes with her in this, and it was like, it's Ant-Man and the Wasp. It was it was almost very equal. I, okay, so I'll agree with you in terms of action duties. Yeah. And they definitely gave her... Like, and she saves, you know, Ant-Man in the end. Like, mm. I completely agree, except that I felt like her... She didn't get... Her arc was very much tethered to Scott's arc. Yeah, but I felt like she, it was almost like she, there was stuff that she wanted to, like they wanted to focus on in her arc, her personal character arc in this film. I and guess it was a relationship with her mother. Yeah, and also the stuff. fact that look, she was hurt by the fact that Scott didn't call her. That's when right. Cap called. Yes, uh, yeah, that's a that's a great point, and I like that the whole being abandoned because a big part of a big sort of thing that this film was dealing with. Is something that was really brushed off in the Captain America film, which is what what is Ant Man doing there, and what more importantly, what is Janet Van Dyne and Hank Pym doing? Yeah, and it's like I like the thing that she said, which is like one thing's for sure: if you were there, you wouldn't have been caught. Yes, yeah, I liked. I want Black Widow to take on Hank Van Dyne now. Because just from a meta perspective, yeah, I feel like Civil War was probably written. And they're probably like, all right, look, let's just have Ant Man oh, yeah. for budget reasons or whatever. And then this film gives it. This film is retroactively giving it a story and being like, well, Scott went and did it himself. You know, he didn't tell anyone else. He stole uh, Hank Pym's suit he to go got... do it. So now they're angry at him. Yeah, exactly. That was Hank Pym's life's work. Yes. What did you? Uh, so, uh, in regards to Hope, I mean, how good was that initial fight scene when she's there to buy the to buy the um the, chef's kiss? Yeah. It was Chef's Kiss. She's edited by the technology from Walton Goggins' character. It goes to shit, as you kind of expect. If you picture your favourite comic book, and it's the most greatest artist, greatest writer (laughs) ever, on your favourite writer, favourite artist, doing your favourite comic, and they're doing an amazing fight scene over, like, 20 pages sort Mm. of thing, that was that fight scene. It was amazing. Yeah, I th- I really loved it, and it felt like natural. It's like this is how the Wasp or Ant Man would fight, in even in a team book or even in a normal book as well. Yeah, I think something that these films do well, and I think it this sort of happens when a character doesn't really have a have a super obvious power, uh, is it uses the size the size changing mechanic in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. It almost reminds me of in the Incredibles films how Brad Bird uses the stretching mechanic of uh, of Elastigirl to really great effect, especially in Incredibles too. He's really creative with how he uses that that ability, and it felt like that here. There are a lot of different uh, like gadgets that use the size changing stuff, like the cars and the um, and of course the uh, the lab, which is reduced to a briefcase size. But then in combat, there's a lot of uh, Hope sort of throwing objects midair and then making them huge. Like in the trailer, there's that wonderful uh, shot with the guy running into the giant salt shaker, mm-hmm. which uh, which which happens 
in this initial opening uh, uh, fight scene. So, yeah, there's a, I felt like there was, especially when Hope was fighting, there was a great mix of her using the technology, but also just, like, being a good mark, being a good hand-to-hand combatant. Yes. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I like Evangel- Evangeline Lilly as an actress as well. I really enjoy her. I mean, I've only seen her mostly in Lost and some other TV shows. That's the only done. really big thing I know her from. I've always enjoyed her as an actress. So, yeah. Um, look, I just... Yeah, I don't know. I was a bit... I mean, it, you got to... We've just watched this film. so But, I mean, I'm still floored by how great Wasp was in this film. I really hope that this signals like a pivot where they're going to really seri- you know, give female characters attention and finally have more Marvel films that pass the goddamn Bechdel test. Because this, yeah. this movie, from memory, did not. Yeah, look, I thought for a moment it did. I think it's... But men were always present yeah, in the scenes where all, there were I two think, female characters talking. Yeah, and also the female, there were female characters talking about a man. So Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I've got one other pickup I'd love to talk about? Yeah, sure. So this was actually... Apparently a couple of criti- uh, film critics have been bringing this up as a criticism, and to me this was one of the real strengths of this film, uh, was the fact that the stakes were very low. So it... It never felt like the world was at risk. The The stakes and consequences always felt really personal. And as I mentioned before, as a palate cleanser to Infinity War where everything was at risk and everything was really high stakes, it was just nice to go into a movie and feel like this is going to be fun, sort of feel safe and just be able to strap yourself in and enjoy this ride. Well, that's the thing. It's like a superhero film doesn't need to be world-ending. Well, some of, the best, some of the best are when they focus on a personal problem. Yeah, like, what was it? Um, well, why do you... Captain, so Captain America Winter Soldier, for me, is one of, like, the best Marvel film because it's not about the world. It's about Bucky and it's about Cap and it's about their relationship. And, you know, Cap getting used well, to I mean, the modern world only to have Bucky come back. I mean, yeah. that's a little world one. I mean, in, in regards oh, yes. to there is, like, the oversight thing. I guess what I mean to say is, yeah, the world isn't like the world is at stake, but what really feels at stake is Captain America's place in the new world and his sort of relationship with Bucky and coming to terms with that. Yeah, well, and that's where the focus is, which makes it such well, a strong film. Okay, for one, for example, my one, like Spider Man Homecoming, that is a world story. ending. All it is is like trying to stop the Vulture from stealing all the crap. Yeah, personal story. Yeah. Mm. So look, I mean, it doesn't have to be world ending. I mean, there was some sort of like. It, this was very personal, but I mean, near the end, you find out that there's two hours. Yeah, and that's to a, get uh, to get Janet Van Dyne. That's from a her pretty point. common screenwriting technique to raise the stakes. If you you know you put a clock on something. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, I think that's about as high as the stakes get. Is Janet Van Dyne is she going to be rescued from the quantum realm or not? Or not? Yeah, because even like Ghost, you make it pretty clear that Ghost isn't intending to kill them. Ah, uh, well, she, it gets near the point where, like, She's she starts getting desperate and be like, I don't care if Janet Van Dyne doesn't survive. It's like... Yeah, she... And there is that, sort of, the stakes are raised even more, because it's like, oh, crap, they're trying to get back from the quantum realm, and the ghost has already tried to, sort of, rip the energy from Janet. Yes. Yeah, and look, I think there were a couple of moments where they could have chosen to raise the stakes. Like, a great example is when Ghost threatens, sort of mentions it, uh, Scott Lang has a daughter, and then, mm. you know, maybe she could be used as leverage, and Goliath, you know, uh, not Goliath, sorry. Um, Bill Foster. Bill Foster tells her, you know, like, no, draws a line. 
I thought when they seeded that, oh, she's going to go after the kid. But I like that they didn't. I right. like that they kept the character re- redeemable. And that, again, after Infinity War, it was kind of nice to have this film that was like, you know what? These people aren't actually villains. Like, like Bill, even though Bill Foster's working with the ghost, he never really does anything bad. He's trying to help someone who's a victim of this terrible accident. Mm. And, and I think that's why I liked... I didn't mind that the stakes were low because the movie had a real warmth and heart to it. Okay. Did you, did you feel that way? Like, how did you sort of feel about... There was a little the part to this film. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the stakes in this film. I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, we've discussed it. It's not very, like, world-ending stakes, but personally, and, like, there was a lot of heart to this film. Yes. I mean, on that... On the low stakes note, I just wanted to sort of mention that they felt like the, it sort of like Ghost is kind of a villain but it sort of felt like a villainless film in a good way mm-hmm. I mean again Walton Goggins' character causes trouble but even he never really feels like a big enough threat no. to be a villain more of a spanner in the works yeah um, have you got any more pickups no I think that, I think that is me for pickups okay um, yeah I mean most, um, we've, I don't know, I'm trying to it's a good it. film yeah, it's, it's like a, a fun, very it's a fun refreshing, film. fun film. Um, and on that note, I, something I mentioned to you before the film was that a lot of reviews were coming out saying it's fun. And from my experience, there are, fun is either used when a film is uh, like a, it's a fun, delightful film or when you don't really know, like when it's sort of average but not terrible and you don't know how else to describe it. Look, In this case, it, this movie's a goddamn delight. Yeah, like it's very like... It feels like everyone had fun making the film as well. Yeah. And the everyone, other thing like, is it's like... Everyone wanted to be there doing this. Okay, and that's the other thing. Like, they kicked it out of the park with the first film, and that film had pre-production bullshit happening to it. Yeah. This film had no issues happening to it whatsoever, only that it sort of aligned slightly story-wise to Infinity War mm. and the Grand MCU, and it still came out as a great film. Mm. Well, just in regards to everyone heard of like being happy to be there, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne had approached Marvel, apparently, and pitched them ideas. Like, he mm. wanted to be in one of these films. Yeah. You know, and, so, and his performance in particular was, like, really warm and really strong. Yes. Well, why don't we do a, my favourite part of the show, Stan Watch, and talk about Stan Lee's cameo. Yes. So there was a car chase scene in the film through the streets of, through the hilly streets of San Francisco. Yes, of course, featuring Lombard Street as any as any uh, chase in San Francisco has to feature. Yes. Um, and so they're chasing. I'm not sure what happens, but like <laughs> we saw the movie. No, there. no, no. I'm trying to figure out how but it happened. But it's like I think so. I well, think, because we've got the MacGuffin of the office, yeah. which is in sort of briefcase size, being passed around to change it. The pursuer and the pursuey. Yeah. So I think. Wasp is shooting from the back of the van. Yes. And she's throwing discs out to shrink, shrink stuff or enlarge them. them. Yeah. And she throws one and it shrinks the car that Stanley is about to open the door to. Yes. And, and Stanley's like, oh, I did a lot of... It was something to the effect of I did a lot of stuff in the 60s. It now. was like, yeah, this is like revenge for all the stuff I did in the 70s? Yeah, or 60s or something. I like, clearly someone knew how this line was meant to play. But yeah. here's the thing about Stan Lee. Stan Lee should be seen and not heard. Yes. He reads lines. He doesn't... I would say he reads lines, he doesn't act them. He looked very frazzled. Yeah. I, I feel like just with everything... I mean, look, we know when this was filmed, like about a year ago. Uh, so they finished filming November 2017. So yeah, it's a very frazzled Stanley. 
Well, look, we've talked about this before. Like, he's a, you know, he's a man in his 90s and he has a pacemaker. Like, you know, he's doing well, but he's an older dude. Yeah. You know, one day he's going to be there more cameos. Sh- yeah, I know, but it almost felt like, like, straighten his hair a bit. Like, <laughs> what do you think? They just, like, they, they didn't even Woke him out of makeup. bed. They it just, almost, like, grabbed him? <laughs> yeah, it felt like he was just grabbed out of bed and it's like, stand here and say this line. It was, yeah, it was a bit weird. In terms of the delivery, it did feel like he'd, like, Seen the line like a minute before. Do you reckon when he dies, they're gonna have like a funeral a t- scene in the film? No, wait, oh, <laughs> in one of Why the films. Say that? Oh, like, God. In the, like the film either opens at a funeral or something, similar to like Civil War, where Peggy Carter died. <laughs> oh God! I thought you were gonna say, do you think they'll bring him back in CGI? Like well, CGI is that possibility. Um. All right. Well, let's. Shall we talk about the uh, the two post credit scenes we get? In this yes. Film? Let us talk post. So the first one, uh, which happens after that first sort of set of, you know, anim- I guess for lack of a better term, animated credits. Yes. Which were great in this film. There were scenes from the movie do recreated you, with miniatures. Yeah, awesome. do you, yeah, do you think it was animated or was it actual toys? I don't know, but it looked like... Because some of them were close up and it didn't look like they were toys. Yeah. Well, like it, some looked like action figures. It was meant not. to look like miniatures, like what you might see around the model train set. Yeah. And um, recreating scenes from the film. Which is great. Yeah. Um, so this post-credit, or sorry, mid-credit stinger, or scene, um, is a mini quantum realm tunnel. Of the yeah, one that can thing. fit in the back of a van. Pick it in the fat, fat, pick and, fit <laughs> you're, you're in the okay? back of a van. You okay, buddy? Yes. So basically what they're doing is um, Janet Van Dyne, Hank Pym, and Hope, um, and Scott are going back into the quantum realm so you can get energy to help Ghost. Heal quantum ghosts. healing energy, yeah, they've qu- called it now. Well, yeah, because I mean, that's what she needs, literally needs energy to heal herself. And I wonder if quantum healing energy is going to have something to do with bringing people back. It's in... the new gamma radiation. I, look, I thing. wonder. Yeah, so <laughs> Scott... New... Quantum's the new gamma. Yeah, so Scott goes in um, and he's about to get pulled out and then all of a sudden the line goes static and we... Of we we look at where uh, Janet, Hope, and Hank were standing, and all there is is Ash now. Which, as soon as they began to put him in, like I don't know if you got nervous, but I something. I'm like, oh, it's gonna happen now. I would have loved if it was Paul Rudd that disappeared, and it was yes. Hope. I, I would have liked that. I, I I get. Or I would have liked it to be Paul Rudd and Janet. Yes. And Hank and Hank and Hope are gone. See, a lot of people have thought that maybe the the mid credits or post credit for this film was gonna be like, where the fuck was where the fuck was Scott like Ant Man and where the fuck was Hawkeye? Yeah. It was either gonna be Hawkeye, no, hugging his kids that are like disappearing, <laughs> oh, and that's God. his reason to like you know get back in the game. Yeah. Or. Um, Similar sort of thing happening with Scott Lang and then like hugging his daughter. That's just but that's that doesn't suit the funness of the film. No, but okay. So I feel like after they spent a whole movie, you know, really bringing Hope into the spotlight, why couldn't have her and Hope and Scott gone the quantum realm together? Yeah. Then Janet and, and uh, Hank there. disappear. It's the same effect, but now we have Hope. It, yeah. Instead, it sort of felt like oh, I would have liked that as on well. Scott. This is his film and his journey. Yeah. Um, but look, I think it was it was you know it. It felt like a vehicle scene, you know? They yeah. want to show us where Scott is. Now we know he's stuck in the corner room. So he's stuck in the corner room. I, I feel like he could possibly possibly get back out pretty easily. I mean, he did my guess is film. My guess is, if, if Infinity War 2 is anything like Infinity War 1, it'll be resolved in a scene. Yeah. Like, be I mean, like, oh, in, let me well, in, rewire this. I mean, yeah, well, that's what he did in the first Ant-Man. Yeah. Ant- um, now, the end credits scene, 
is uh, yeah. One so of, during I, the film, one of the I'm going to say that one of the weakest. Yeah, one of the weakest. I mean, we've we've talked about this. The usually the mid credit scene is about the next film, or in regards to the MCU wider, and post credit is something in regards to the current. Film. It's just a goof, generally. Just some, yeah. just a fun goof. And what it is is the pet ant who was. Uh, filling in for Scott. Filling in for Scott while he was under police lockdown and playing... You know, using, as giant ants tend to do. You And doing Scott's everyday activity, which is playing on the drums. Playing, that's right, an electric drum kit. Yeah. But one thing I noticed, which was kind of cool, it sort of, it was panning towards there. Yes. And to the, go, towards it. Through yeah, Scott's apartment towards yeah, the end. Yeah. house, it's a, It was a blink and a miss for a moment. The TV was on and it was on so like an emergency signal that you would usually see like end of the world transmission signal, which is kind of cool to that. It's that signal is happening on the around the world type thing. Yeah. So this is, it's almost like a, a post-apocalyptic scene. Yes. Yeah. Where they, they use sort of that split second just to sort of show you where the world's like at. Something similar to like the Omega man. Mm. Yeah. But I just felt like the ant drumming on the drum, like the ant doing the drums wasn't particularly funny. I can feel it coming me. Yeah, just to me was just like okay, like and especially given that like the giant an ant becoming giant was a joke in the first film and that sort of end fight with that giant ant wandering around. It just felt like they were recycling a joke and a joke that wasn't super funny. Okay, um, like I would have preferred. If we saw like Lu- Luis in the office and the other two guys disappear and he's like freaking out, no. like, yeah, like I think it, like to me that would have been pretty funny. Yeah. Or if Luis so, disappears, like no Hawkeye in this film. Good, yeah, and at the end of the MCU scene, Hawkeye is, I think, the worst iteration of any. Like, he's an example of a comic book character being made worse. And they just made him. They oversimplified him, and they've given. And I think I speak for a lot of people when I say I just like to see the Matt Fraction. Uh, yeah, I do. Too. Sort of fuck up Hawkeye on screen. Um, Instead of Family Man Hawkeye. And after the end credits, we get a Ant Man and Resp- Ant Man and Wasp will return, and then it changes from full stop to question mark. Yeah, which is you know so dick baiting. Oh yeah, they will. She'll be back. Of course, you know I really. I'm a. Yeah, surely they don't, wouldn't introduce Michelle Pfeiffer then to kill her. Yeah. Um. Man. So, so look. I just before we wrap up the uh, the post this post credits bit. I overall I really like this post credits bit, it, especially like the one where where now Scott is trapped in the quantum realm. I like that as a premise. I just, I it just felt like moving the story forward, and after sort of this fun movie, it just like was a bummer. That's mm. all. Like I okay. get that it's what it, it is what it is, but it just was like, oh, I've had this really fun uplifting, you know, action film and now, oh, I'm just going to get bummed out because half half the characters I love in this film are now dead. Yeah. Alright, um, on that note... Yeah, shall we do our, our final segment? Yes. Which is, if you like this, uh, read, read this. this. Now, this is a segment where we give you some recommend, uh, some comic recommendations uh, that are sort of... It, either there'll be Marvel books that, you know, that feature the characters in the film or there'll be, there'll be books from Marvel or another publisher that sort of capture the spirit of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with Ant-Man 1, for instance, we recommended some, some heist books. Uh, so, Billy, uh, do you have any books for this film? Okay, well, I mentioned it earlier, g- given that um, Johnny Woo, John Woo was in this. Yes. 
Um, I am actually going to recommend Agents of Atlas. Um, was that the one that Tom Taylor wrote? It's or written it by no, it's written by Jeff Parker. Okay, and the artist is uh, Leonard Kirk. When did, do you know when that came out? That came out around two thousand and six. Okay, that's my first one. It's it's really good. Highly recommend reading it. Awesome, and you can get it. Pro, uh, you can get it as a trade or digitally. Um, I'm going to recommend, and I think you might have already recommended this one, the Nick Spencer Ant-Man run, where he's a security consultant for Tony Stark. Yes. Um, which, of course, is, you know, in this film, him and his crew are now starting up their own security company called, funnily enough, X-Con. Yes. <laughs> um, which I thought was like a, a fun little a little pun joke there. Yeah, so that's, a, you know, that's a, a fun run. Nick Spencer, you know, is go- good with... um. Good with with comedy and good with sort of either characters that are sort of criminals themselves or criminal adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's he's great at those sort of books. Um, another book I want to mention is the Unstoppable Wasp by Jeremy Whitley oh, and also Charlie It's a French name, so yeah. regardless of how we try, we're gonna we're gonna um, mess it up. Yeah, and so that's focused on um, Nadia Pym. So I'm in the comics. Um, Hank Pym had a daughter before he was married to Janet Van Dyne, mm-hmm. um, and it was a Russian um, person. I don't know the, I don't know Nadia's mother's name, but um, yeah. So Nadia Pym was like raised in the Red Room in Russia, which is like the Red Room is like sort of almost like the assassin room where black yeah, people was trained. Black, yeah. So she's escaped to America, um, and she's taken up the mantle of the Wasp. And it, in that film, Janet Van Dyne is sort of her surrogate. I guess mother. in that comic, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Hmm. Well, I'd look, that's all for me from recommendations this, this week. Yeah, look, um, that's me as well. Easy. Yes. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening, guys. I ho- hope you'd enjoyed this uh, sojourn back into the world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, of course, my obsession with talking about dicks on this podcast. You know me. I'll talk about dick anyway. Yeah, no, you, 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 look, you, you've never turned me down yet to talk about dick. So I, yes. I'm going to keep doing it. Big dick energy. <laughs> yeah, and look, I if if you could rate and review us on iTunes, and maybe underneath, like in the description of your rating, let us know Give what us you think are big dick, dick energy in, rating. Yeah, you know, small who's, dick. Yeah, who's who's better, me? Who has more big dick energy, me or Christoph? <laughs> yes, uh, I, w- I definitely want to know. I mean, I think it's it's pretty obvious who does, but let's not get into it now, Billy. Yes. And um, on that note, where can people find us online? People can find us at uh, Wushka. Uh, which is where our podcast is, yes. or Apple, um, and it's, uh, sorry, Apple iTunes, and it's To Infinity War and Beyond. Yep. You can find us on Geek of Oz on Twitter, or Geek of Oz on Facebook. Or geekofoz.com, which yes. is, of course, our website. And um, what, what is your Twitter handle? Been? My Twitter handle is Aqualic, and your Twitter handle is... At Weekly Geek. Yes. Um, so, you know, hit us up. All right. See That's ya. Bye for now. Bye.